Hey science fans, I have another fantastic podcast to recommend to you guys. The Waterline Podcast. Everything you need to know about the science of water. Have we managed to develop the most sustainable irrigation techniques? Can water be the bringer of peace? Can flushing your toilet light up your house? The answer to all of these questions and many more in the Waterline Podcast which is an initiative of the Israel New Tech as part of the Israeli Ministry of Economy and Industry. It's a new podcast that, uh, is, that is created to communicate the many facets of water. So please, check out an episode. I've, uh, I've checked out several. I actually went back and listened to the very first episode, which gives you a nice overview of uh, sources of fresh water all around the world, rivers, lakes, underground sources, and to see how, how delicate they are, how prone they are to contamination. This is exceptionally important stuff for our world and our future, and I highly recommend this podcast. Search Waterline Podcast on iTunes or in your Android podcast app. Welcome to Here We Are, everybody. I am your host, comedian Shane Moss. I'm going to be doing some stand-up. I am taking the psychedelic comedy tour to Australia. I'm going to be in Melbourne on October 19th to the 21st, doing shows in Sydney October 28th. And we may be adding more shows if you guys can help get the word out. We'll add more and I'll be able to spend more time out there and doing more international stuff as well when these are successful. So anything that you can do to get the word out for me would be terrific. We are changing the format up a little bit. We're doing more of a co-host style thing. So uh, each week, I'm rather than having a guest, I'm having a guest co-host, guest co-host this week. My name is Bill Greiser. I'm the guest co-host today with Shane. I'm very excited to be here. Thank you very much for inviting me. I'm a neuroscience instructor in psychology at Portland State University. I actually also teach up at Oregon Health and Science University, their their Department of Behavioral Neuroscience. And I'm the neuroscience coordinator. I work with an artist in a group, a nonprofit known as Northwest Noggin. We're nwnoggin.org. And I'm, again, very excited to be here. And let's mention before we get started, this is part one. We intend on doing a part two of this as well. Thank you very much. Are we? Yes. Where are we? Here. Why are we here? Not entirely clear. We are misfits thrust into existence by random chance with no hints at all as to how we're supposed to make sense of it all. It's immensely bizarre. Here we are. All right, Bill, let's get into it. We were just talking off the air about how children see life, and I think that this is a wonderful introduction into this show, which we're doing a little bit of a different format. I like taking chances. Rather than having a specific topic, which we usually have, we're going to do a little Neuroscience 101 for people. Sounds uh, good. Because you do this all of the time. All the time. You go around (laughs) to high schools and... Middle schools, elementary schools, absolutely. Mm -hmm. What are the best students? 
So the best students are actually those who, uh, you know, really are sometimes those that are struggling in school. We often go to academic priority classrooms. Uh, that's the you know formal education term, you know, and uh, these are kids that are like uh, sometimes a little disconnected from the material. They've been um, often sort of demoralized by the way that they're tested all the time now. And, you know, these tests we've discovered are, um, you know, uh, uh, prepared by companies that, you know, hire education professionals, but they're writing questions about, let's say, biology or neuroscience, and really none of them have any background in biology or neuroscience. So we bring our grad students and our undergrads who are studying these topics, you know, the grad students are actually getting federal funds to, you know, discover, you know, all sorts of, you know, important aspects of how the brain works and, you know, how to develop drugs to help, you know, various issues, et cetera. Um, and so they, they can't understand the questions that these kids are subjected to. So part of the issue is, um, you know, we bring in uh, folks who are actually looking at the brain, you know, which everybody is inherently fascinated and interested in. Um, And, you know, we, everybody has a question (laughs) about how their brain works, why they are feeling the way that they do, or why they are, you know, experiencing things the way that they do. Um, You know, and it's not a test. Um, We have art projects, because we, I work, you know, with uh, Jeff Leak, who's an artist, um, and we prepare all these projects that allow kids to sort of explore aspects of how the brain is both structured and functioned. And we were talking about how kids like, you know, are, you know, not fully, they're not adults yet. So they haven't like, you know, um, routed all these, you know, neuronal networks to process information in ways that um, actually discard, you know, a lot of what's actually out there. Um, So they're really fascinating to talk to. Their questions are often, you know, very innovative, um, very um, direct, you know, very clear, you know, very uh, intriguing. You're like, oh wait, I yeah, I didn't think of that. Yeah, um, they're they're they're. I mean, the adolescents are the kids are kind of like the research and development arm of the human race because they basically are, you know. Um, you know, uh, networks under development. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, and and the and the situations are always changing. So, so as a uh, as a troubled student who later went on to start a science podcast, cool. uh, um, <laughs> yep. I something that I am fascinated by, which is the creativity of youth like yeah, you're talking exactly, i mean yeah. this is this is something that i have to find ways of tapping into all of the time with yep. my occupation i'm sure and mm-hmm. i think that everyone needs to find ways to stay youthful in that way to keep on having fresh looks at life and Absolutely. to keep the brain mm-hmm. being flexible for mental health the first thing i wanted to ask you about what's your take on why the brain first starts uh, specializing in the first place. Let's let's cover kind of the usefulness of that survival. Look at right, right, right. And then after that, I want to get into. Uh, let's start there, and then I I have yeah. some mm-hmm. follow up questions. Well, as we were discussing before, you know, we started, um, you know, uh, in terms of just even perceptual abilities, right? Um, when you you know show like a baby, you know, like an image of its mother, for example, there there was a study that looked at how you know, uh, different parts of the brain would respond to that visual image. And it wasn't just visual parts of the brain, you know, it ultimately become the sort of visual networks for, you know, what you're looking at and where it's located in the brain. Um, But there were also regions that were involved in, um, you know, olfaction or smell or taste or, you know, somato sensations, sensations from the body, um, auditory sensations. And yet by, you know, 18 to 24 months or so, you know, those kids now have a much more you know, precise routing of this information. <laughs> I love thinking about what it's like to be a baby. Yeah. 
because <laughs> the overstimulant, of course they're crying. Yeah. Of course they're drooling on themselves in awe. <laughs> There's so much stuff around us. And, you know, we really have a limited sort of attentional capacity, too. So as you become an adult, you you screen out so much stuff that's actually around. That's why it's fascinating to talk to kids, because um, often they notice things or see things that you just have glossed over or passed right over. That's uh, the, the scene in the first Matrix movie when they're like, we're going to download you with Taekwondo moves or yeah, whatever. Exactly, You're going yeah. to download this, this skill set. What they don't show is that Neo would have to be wearing a diaper for that, yes, because exactly, yes. if you get all of that raw information, all at once. Well, you know, the cool thing about that is because we actually, um, uh, Jeff and I actually um, coach each of these classes where we look at, you know, both art and brain. And, you know, part of it is your um, experience of the world. Um, you know, what you're able to perceive ultimately is dependent upon what you've experienced. So, you know, in or- if, you know if you, for example, um, have cataracts in your your eyes and you you don't get visual input. Well, you're not going to see your mother's face. You're not going to see faces. You're not going to be able to you know get perceptual experiences of the visual world. You need that process of development. And this is when you were asking a question earlier, you know, too about you know what what should people know about neuroscience yeah. in the brain? It's like the way you learn everything is by you know stumbling out there and making a lot of mistakes, like like screwing up, like not getting it right, like you know, having yourself corrected, you know, sometimes painfully, uh, but that's actually a really good experience, good thing to tell adolescents too, because oftentimes in schools, they have this, um, like these rules, you know, that they're supposed to be followed and they're, they're told, you know, formally what the rules are. You know, a lot of these kids in academic priority classrooms, you know, they break, they've broken the rules and things like that. It turns out that the rules that they're often, you know, told are not the actual rules. Those the, the actual social interaction that we engage right. in is far more complex, right. and it involves issues of race, it involves issues of class, it involves issues that are not explicitly described or explained to kids, and yet they get hit hard, and then their brains you know, have to learn from those experiences. You know, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, why it, this is when you talk about tests kind of not being yeah. mm-hmm. the best way to measure intelligence, perhaps, or knowledge, I, a, a lot of it is wrapped up in these details rather than the formulas, rather than the patterns yep. that mm-hmm. we actually navigate. The, we are these pattern recognition machines. Exactly. And that's how we navigate our worlds. And I'm sitting here trying to figure out how to talk to a girl, and you're trying to yeah. get me to learn what year something or other happened. Right, and, exactly. And like, and, and the brain does a nice job of in, in that regard of of kind of chronologically, this came before that became uh, came before that, but. The usefulness of years is right. pretty secondary. Uh, it's more useful to figure out how to how to actually um, find that information. Like you know, how 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 would you if you needed to know something specifically, how would I now look for that information and then you know express mm. it and explain it and present it? That that kind of is more important than the specific thing you're <laughs> you're learning the specific year itself. Right. In this case, exactly. Mm-hmm. So as as the brain kind of fine tunes a little more, and as as we grow older, yeah, and this is what what role does synaptic pruning have? Is Quite that a just bit, a, yeah. ter- a term that I love for a reason, just because it sounds fancy? It seems like it has a, a really large. It sounds role. it sounds like gardening, right? <laughs> Basically, I mean, when you you know there was a, a terrific. Um, neuroscientist, an inspiring neuroscientist, um, uh, Marion Diamond, who just died this year, actually. Um, but her, she was famous for her uh, research on, um, you know, rodents that were rats that were raised in either enriched environments with lots and lots of, you know, toys and other and, and actually 
very importantly, other rats, like like a social kind of environment. You know, rodents, like humans, are very social creatures, and we our brains sort of thrive in social environments, typically. Um, and then she had rats that were raised in what she called impoverished environments, where they you know had very little. They were by themselves. They were isolated. And she found that the weights of those brains differed significantly. They were much heavier in the rats that were raised in enriched environments. And it turns out it wasn't that there were more neurons that were present in their brains, but they had so many more synaptic connections in those enriched environments. Um, you know, During early development, these neurons reached out to each other and formed many many connections. However, then there is significant pruning or cutting back of those connections because they're not all useful. In fact, one of the facts we, one of the things we tell students all the time is that, you know, you start with about 200 billion neurons in the human brain as an infant. And by the time they're 18, you know, they're down to about half that. And, you know, as adults, we're, you know, 86 billion and dropping. So, I mean, it's not like the number of cells are what matter, but it's how they actually link up to each other and route information, you know, through networks that form, you know, during development. Yeah, it's 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 a little bit it's tricky to f- figure out what parts of, are useful when. So so like you you say to a child and, and an adult, here here's this. You hand them a pencil, write as many different things, write as many different uses for this yeah. object mm-hmm. as you can. And kids will think of thirty different reasons, uh, thirty different things you can yep. dig be under the the refrigerator to get your marbles out or whatever, and and all these things. The adults are like, well, you can write with it. Yeah, that's uh, a very can, good example. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh-huh. and so. But some of these things maybe won't be that useful that kids are thinking of, and so there there is some sort of a balance there between absolutely creativity right. and uh, what would you call the other sort side of more of it? Uh, well more I mean more like uh, like effective right. approaches or something that that work most of the time or that you know that are useful. You know, one of the things that's interesting though is during development you really want a more creative environment, like with more opportunities to innovate and come up with new ideas. For example, like now that we're shifting to, you know, a lot of kids that learn, you know, their letters, for example, on like a computer or like an iPad and things like that, they found that it's taken kids longer to read. Um, And they're less flexible in terms of what is a letter A or a letter B. When you're drawing it yourself and you're learning not only print but script, for example, there's many different ways that your, you know, subtle differences and sometimes large differences, you know, between every time you try to generate a letter. And you learn to be much more, you know, capable of recognizing an A, B, C, D, et cetera, in many different forms with that kind of developmental experience. Hmm. Yeah, I... Then there's these thresholds of like the QWERTY uh, where the the keyboard is a certain way only because yes, the, what what is it the ink ribbons or something would right. get jammed up if you, if you delay, could actually right, exactly, yeah yes. so uh. so typing is actually slower than it yep, could potentially could be. be but now we're all stuck with this slow keyboard yeah. because of this uh, uh, by pro- the byproduct of this the the way the technology evolved that is now no longer useful and so now do you teach kids the do you give them the more efficient keyboard 
Lord? And right. or or do you start teaching do- adults? Or is that great time? Is, yeah. mm-hmm. You know, these are all the things that we have to play around with. You know, part of it is, I mean, we we learn by stories, and we like stories, and so in some ways, like the story of why we have this kind of odd keyboard is is kind of motivating and interesting, and you know, it, it sort of enriches our lives to some extent. But I agree with you; it may be much more efficient for kids to learn a different keyboard. <laughs> yeah, and well, and you're talking about learning from mistakes too. Which mistakes would be the best if you were like, okay, I'm going to put my child through this obstacle course of mistakes for them to learn from? I think the best ones would be the ones that teach them empathy first, which is what we try to instill early on. Naturally, we go do unto others and you try to get them outside of themselves and get them to see other people's point of view because then they can learn from other people's mistakes. Which is, <laughs> but you know what? You, I mean, as a parent, I've got two teenagers. I mean, you can't. I mean, you can't protect them. I mean, they're 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 right. gonna they're gonna make those mistakes. I mean, we did as well. Um, well and, not me. Yeah. Yeah. Of course not you. <laughs> <laughs> but I need them. Me neither. No. But um. But actually, they um. You know, they there's something about that visceral like experience yeah. of failing miserably ah, and actually even maybe even why did i do it yeah, 20 years later i'm in the shower you still remember it why did i do that why did i make an ass out of myself in front of that very important social group of popular kids but hopefully you've never done that again <laughs> no no of course not but that's the thing actually that's the other thing that we find really interesting telling kids is that you know they're over, so there's a lot of the neuro- neuroscience is now trickling into classrooms they're they're actually telling you about you know your frontal lobe is undergoing development very important for social development and your frontal lobe isn't totally there yet but we always talk to them about okay so the adults you know in your lives right with their terrific frontal lobes fully formed right do they ever make social mistakes and screw up <laughs> right and yes and then it's instructive to think about why like when so oftentimes like if they're drinking they'll say or you know which is true that'll shut down you know the 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 frontal lobe networks that are important for evaluating you know, consequences of social decisions, right? Right. If you're tired, if they're stressed. So, I mean, you can, it actually, in some ways, in terms of teaching empathy a little bit, it offers a little empathy, you know, like a sense of like, yeah, the parents aren't, even though they try to like, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, I, I know best and all that, you know, they don't always know best and the kids right. know that. Um, and the other thing that's really interesting about teaching kids about this kind of stuff too is that um, the parents and teachers and, you know, administrators sometimes think, that they're only responsive to the social cues and instruction from adults. And they don't recognize or realize that there's a much more complicated social world that adolescents are embedded in, you know, where they, they that are, like you were saying before, I'm more motivated by that girl or something. I mean, there's other aspects that are influencing their decision-making and the other consequences that they're considering, not just what you're saying. Right. <laughs> and, you know, that's part of it. So, so they're, they're actually, they've really taught us a lot, like about how, their decision making is more is actually more complex than sometimes they're given credit for when they say, "Oh, your frontal lobe's under development." No, they're they're in a different social world right. than we are. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, that's there's also lots of uh, lots of different ways to look at any given thing, but it seems like there's always these kind of two ways in which you can err or benefit, where where we might say be more. Uh, you, you see someone being really creative and you go like, oh, they're very childlike and that's a compliment. Yeah. Whereas mm-hmm. if you say that's someone, someone's immature, yeah. you're saying childish. they're childish, <laughs> like their development has been arrested, they aren't up to speed or something like that is the implication. The same, same with alcohol where you're yeah. saying that now someone someone's making a fool of themselves as opposed to 
someone's loosened up a little bit and able to express themselves, which is also sometimes a consequence of alcohol and a, a, a yeah impulsive behavior, right? right. Risk taking behavior, right? Sometimes but, we need to take a few more risks. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, there's actually there's a study I'm thinking. Of, I, I'm blanking on the lab, but it's up at OHSU. They did this study where they looked at um, adolescents who um, uh, were you know came in and they they some of them were sleep deprived. They did this kind of like like questionnaires where they, you know, checked how sleepy they were, and they divided them into two groups, those who got sufficient sleep. And that's a big issue that we've, you know, certainly learned about with adolescents, but actually with a lot of adults, too, is like the lack of sleep and how that can impact, you know, how you can <laughs> you can survive the day. <laughs> I, I just went through, I just started sharing with my listeners recently that I'm bipolar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I went through a manic episode recently where I was sleeping oh. about two hours a day for yeah. almost mm-hmm. two weeks. Yep. Mm-hmm. And uh, things started falling apart, yep. <laughs> and then and all I really needed was sleep, and then I was fine. But uh, it led to paranoia and oh, that's I mean, else. sleep is foundational. I mean, it was interesting because um, this study looked at like they played this game. <laughs> so they they were in this like fMRI scanner, and they were um, you know uh, shown a balloon. It was like an image of a balloon, and they had to press this button, and they press the button, the balloon would go, whoosh, it would like expand, and then it would say. A dollar. Ding, ding, ding. They got a dollar for expanding. They press it again. They get another dollar. They press it again. You know, it keeps expanding. But if they go too far, the balloon pops and they lose all the money, right? Yeah. So it turned out that, unsurprisingly, those who got sufficient sleep were able to inhibit, you know, their impulsive responses. Uh, And on average, they did better. They earned more money at the end of this, right? However, amongst the ones that, you know, took all the risks and were very impulsive— you had the highest earners. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> so, so we tell that story sometimes in schools up. and there's like kids that are like, yeah, that's, I'm totally going to be that. They yeah. think they're going to be that, you know, 5%. Sometimes I hit the jackpot, and <laughs> then I, but exactly. I just have a lot of failures. I mean, that's that's part of in in my business and then and also in life. In life. I, mm-hmm. a, a lot of the like, you know, I always tell people if they want to be a comic, get out of your comfort zone, take some chances. But the reason why that's valuable when you do succeed is because you fail yes. mo- more, far more often than that. So this is in economics, this is just supply and demand yep. and evolutionary biology. This yeah. would be like an honest indicator of fitness. Or Human beings are everywhere on the planet. They're in every, <laughs> I mean, the first people who would go out, you know, into the you know, the North Pole. Or right. I mean, that... I mean, look at us. Yeah, we've they're been, impulsive. We've been to space. It's crazy. <laughs> exactly. we're, yep. And we're so flexible. Yeah, and... it's, a, it's a good evolutionary strategy. Well, that's that's what I wanted to ask you, kind of a follow up uh, to tie all of this together. When going back to synaptic pruning, kind of helping our ability to focus, be more effective, and better route information. Yep. Right, and and so the brain doesn't have to relearn every damn thing over and over right. again. Shortcuts. At a certain point. So, so you're a baby, there's way too much information, and then you get a little bit of this pruning, you can start to focus a little bit. Then as you become an adult, <laughs> you start getting a little bored yeah. after a while. Yeah. You, know, you, you, you get your first job, you're so excited. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. you, finally, your degree or whatever is going to pay off. And uh, you, you start a new class, you're all excited. Yeah. For the, mm-hmm. And then toward the end of the class, maybe not so much. Yeah. This uh-huh. is, we habituate. Yep. And, mm-hmm. and so... It seems a little unfortunate that sometimes sometimes our brains can now now we've habituated now we could handle some more simulation and uh-huh. stimulation in the environment we could handle that rat amusement park a little more and now it's but now the kind of the neurons have been pruned I know there's some mental flexibility there but what 
what can we do when, once we've already we've gotten the cubicle job we've gotten the job that's incredibly redundant and and uh, uh, re- I, I was just about to say redundant and repetitive <laughs> That would be, be, be both redundant and repetitive. <laughs> exactly. and, and so, I, I mean, it seems, and flexibility seems to diminish as we age. Yeah. Is that? Oh, well, yeah. So all these wonderful networks that you you know form and develop, they do you know have they 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 do start to go. Actually, there's some really um, fascinating potential consequences of like some degeneration in some of these networks too. So for example, um, you know, the late Oliver Sacks, you know, talked rather movingly about Charles Bonet syndrome where oh, people yeah. like, you know, like they start to lose some of the, you know, visual routing networks in the, you know, occipital and temporal lobes. And then they start to um, see, you know, uh, actually they, they, they lose the, the retinal input often is what's happening. They get macular degeneration or something, but they start to lose, uh, they start to have, be more free, you know, to experience all sorts of visual perceptual experiences um, because they're not kind of constrained by the actual information that's present in front of them. <laughs> they're not routing it anymore. Those brain <laughs> regions are still going to fire up they because are. otherwise exactly. they're going to atrophy. And that's where some of the, the Charles Bonet hallucinations yeah. uh, come in. There's And uh, there's auditory hallucinations as those systems start to decline. And, you know, people, even a lot of young people, um, you know, who have, you know, listened to very loud if music. You hear this message, you're dying. <laughs> exactly. Pink Floyd says that in a song. And I, when I first heard that when I was all baked, when I was a teenager. Oh, my God. Oh, no. Why would you do that to me? But oftentimes we have, like, people who say, I hear this ringing, they get the tinnitus, et cetera. They've lost the, you know, the hair cells and the cochlea that could respond to the frequencies that are that high. So it's a a a hallucinatory sort of an experience that they're having. Yeah, Yeah, so, I mean, part of it is actually... um, so, you know, some of the some of the subcortical structures that are so critical for these powerful emotional and impulsive responses, things like you may have heard the like the amygdala, right, the nucleus accumbens that are involved in sort of, you know, motivated behaviors, etc., um, are much more um, kind of active and um, less like sort of suppressed, or you know, you have less ability to inhibit them, you know, with you know these more kind of mantle cortical structures actually that you develop like frontal lobe networks that yeah you have a powerful you know fear response or motivated response but then you can sort of consider you know through past because of your past experiences and failures right oh i shouldn't do this or i should do that yeah if you're in a dentist chair and a dentist is drilling into your tooth you're able to override your instinct to punch him in the face right exactly absolutely whereas if someone is punching you in the tooth you you know that you need to defend yourself so context is important you now know that context you can actually yeah so and then um it turns out that some of these subcortical structures sort of decline or they become less active you know partly because you're better at inhibiting them i mean you know more about like i shouldn't be fearful in this situation it's okay or uh, yeah i really want that but the best way to get it is the following and i got to step back you know and sort of moderate that so um and yeah that could make it so it's less exciting (laughs) but you know part of it is actually um if you if you if you change like your environment or if you like you know um, novelty is something that provokes response in these systems too it can be you know can excite you it can motivate you it's something new not everybody some people you know people have people that's the other thing that we talk about is that there's such diversity in terms of our brains and our and thus our perceptual experiences and our behaviors and things like that but for many people you know taking a new route to work or something you you notice things and see things you're out of your normal routine shaking up a routine 
is really important. And some of our um, volunteers, you know, that go out in classrooms all the time, I ask them the same question you were asking about, you know, what do people need to know? One of them is that you do, you can take a little control, perhaps, you know, of, you know, your environment, or if you if you are able in a situation, not everybody can, but if you are able in a situation to sort of change, make small changes, make big changes, but make changes in how you structure your environment or what you do. Talk to different people, you know, go to a museum, you know, take a new, take another different class. Take a cold shower. Take you can cold, do that yeah, every day. Absolutely. <laughs> it's terrifying. It'll, it'll, that'll wake up your it'll brain and you make up. some new connections. Yeah. It, you know, actually will pull it, it, Part of it is um, sometimes people get too into their own heads. We were talking a little bit about this too, like too, like they dwell on something that happened or they dwell on a certain like sense of who they are and they're we know there are like specific networks in the brain that are involved in sort of that self-reflection and rumination for example and you know what's healthy is to have a kind of a balance between you know being kind of externally involved like you know looking around your world and yeah. <laughs> seeing seeing that's what's out there and then reflecting on it yeah. yeah oh i like to get way in there i like to i like to really get into the dark dark trenches of the that's mind awesome. <laughs> I mean, that could be awesome as long as you come back <laughs> I do. I always, well exactly What's interesting mm-hmm. is in those spaces, those were where the real novel connections are yeah. made mm-hmm. because because I can find a place in my mind where I abandon all meaning and right. past, mm-hmm. not all, but metaphorically speaking, connections. And so then that allows me an opportunity to see, um, put to, the, like genius to me is a thing uh, that exists outside. It's it's an action, not a person. Like Like I, I saw this video of someone made a, made their file cabinet into a grill yeah that's put cool. like chicken yeah, on I'm, one beans yeah. on that's that to me is genius yeah some other some other person might see that and be like oh that's silly it is it's yeah. a little silly but no one else saw yeah that you could take this office thing and turn it into a grill and it can be the simplest things like that and that that is what and and then sometimes we we connect two things together and it's like well that's not the most useful idea in the world and who cares but it's still those those new novel connections that no one else noticed before. So that's art. You know, that's, yeah. uh, artists do that all the time. And then actually, and research scientists do that too when they they sort of make a leap or you know look at what's around like the you know the the file cabinet and then connect it to something mm-hmm. interesting and then you know pursue that they like, say will this work how you know, how i how do i actually work with the the physical materials <laughs> yeah to, to produce something and um that's why we so you know um working- well yeah that's that's why i could never be a I, I love the i love the ideas i love coming yeah, up with uh, the ideas but that's like okay now let's actually do this now let's actually build the model and test it i'm like eh, someone else go do that, well, that you I, know that, but actually that's terrific i mean the ideas are critical to that process i mean some people can be really good at you know technical and actually you know creating the grill and all this and then other people can come up with the idea for yeah it. so i mean i think that's and they're both important to actually generate the object right, the <laughs> right. To, to create the genius right right um yeah, so I mean, I think so. I wish Jeff were here. I mean, um, we'll hopefully well, let's yeah. let's do a, let's do another one. Let's do a part two. Yeah. Um. And and Jeff, you're. Uh, I was going to say because one of the projects that we do in our classes, we you know make these neurons out of pipe cleaners. Um, yeah. But then we also have a a project where. Um, it's called a neuron metaphor project. You know, neurons, you know, receive information. They kind of integrate information and they generate output. So how can you um, actually uh, describe that in an image 
or a sculpture or a story or something that actually um, reflects some aspect of how that process occurs. You know, what the, what is the function of this thing? Mm-hmm. But do it in some different structure, use some different structure. So literally, like taking the barbecue with a file cabinet and making it a barbecue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and actually, it, it is a really great project because unlike a test that kids get at school where there's like one right answer, it's choice D, you know, where, again, our grad students need to understand the question. Um, this is like, um, it, it requires an, a deep understanding of what is, how this structure of this biological cell reflects its functional you know, role, actually, and then you have to exp- express it and explain it. And there's not just one answer. You're personally invested in this particular, you know, way of describing and explaining and communicating, you know, what this, what a neuron does. And and we find even in, in these classrooms where kids are completely disconnected, supposedly, and we were warned before we go in, like, oh, there might be behavior issues and all that, they are totally engaged and involved and excited to participate. Yeah, this is cool. I'm I'm touching one of these. I'm touching some myelin sheath. You got it, myelin uh, sheath. Absolutely. <laughs> at, at the moment, <laughs> which which is uh, um, the uh, what is it? I want to say electricity. The ener- energy. Yes, electricity. Electricity. Uh, current. The, the, the yep. current electrical signal yep. jumping over the the sheath in increasing it, yes. its uh, yep. its speed and ability yeah, to absolutely. communicate. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, deteriorates during uh, multiple sclerosis. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jeez, um, I'm so smart, aren't I? You're amazing. I take my <laughs> I take my one I take my one little thing that I know. Like, let me show off what I know. No, I, awesome. I can't huh? I can't stop myself from doing that. No, no, and you know, actually, we have a bunch of them here on the on the table. But I mean, for example, what is this guy? That's a that's a rod photoreceptor. So that's one of the ones that you know you were you know not trying to fry you were trying not to fry out during the eclipse recently. Ah. Um, but you've, you know, did you of, see Trump looking I, at I, the thing? I, I, I did. He, he has no did frontal lobe. <laughs> did you see? Well, yeah. But <laughs> exactly. I, I, I'd say poor fellow, but you know, yeah. he's, uh, someone's yeah. got to grow us. up. No, but, yeah. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, it's <laughs> someone had to yell, "Don't look at it." <laughs> the president yep. of the United States. Yeah, that, that that happened. That <laughs> happened. Um, so okay, so this is in. Uh, this is a big. Rectangular. It, yeah, the, the it's like this the is mem- whole series of membranous discs. Yeah, please do. Yeah, and and uh, make sure. Okay, so so this is the photoreceptor that. It, am I holding it right? You're actually you're holding it correctly. So that that big you know kind of rectangular section at the back okay. that is at the back of your eye. Actually, I see. Um, and you know, light will come through your pupil. Right, it'll be you know focused by the lens. I'll take a I'll, I'll take a picture of this one in particular. Okay, and then sure. We'll yeah, uh-huh. put it on the herebeerpodcast.com yeah. website. And so just so people can get a sense of what we're using and describing. Yeah, there's all these little uh, plastic pieces back there. That's the photopigment, the rhodopsin. Which is a chemical that'll actually absorb, you know, photons of light and change it their its shape in response. Actually, because you know, energy is neither you know uh, created nor destroyed, but it can be converted, you know, from one form to another. So when that you know uh, rhodopsin chemical changes its shape, it actually releases a chemical, and that'll go off and start this process, which will basically shut off the photoreceptor. It's interesting because yeah. um, that photoreceptor are the the cells that respond to light. They fire the most rapidly. When your eyes are closed, when there is no light, <laughs> really? so yes, and the, but the, but they are inhibitory. They inhibit output from the eye. Mm-hmm. So when light strikes, they shuts down certain photoreceptors, and then it releases output, you know, from the eye. And there's a pattern of activity, you know, that it, that that works its way back, you know, along these these you know pathways that we've developed with ex- with visual experience when we were young. So. 
This is awesome. <laughs> I, I no, I, I love this idea. I love this. I've been playing with Play-Doh. Yeah, lately. Play-Doh works. Terrific. We do Play-Doh. Yeah. We have Play-Doh up there. <laughs> Yeah, it's a Play-Doh brain. It's uh, I, I've been trying to find some of these like childlike tools to represent really, really yeah. big, high concept ideas. Yep. and they just work better. They uh, work so much better. We mm-hmm. we need to find ways of simplifying these incredibly complex ideas. Yep. You know, the other one thing that I think you'd enjoy hearing about um, is how you know some of these networks you know, that are forming when we're, you know, very young, like how, how we route information from the eyes, you know, from the, from the rod cell, you know, back into, you know, other parts of the brain, for example. Um, they, there are certain critical periods of development, and we now call them sensitive periods of development, where you're more able to change the connections, to properly prune, right, and to sort of, you know, route information effectively. And then, you know, once you pass that period, it's very hard to change. I mean, for example, like if you have cataracts when you're very young, even relatively small, you know, month, two months of like loss of input, um, even if you get loads of visual experience later, I mean, they remove the cataract, you'll never properly wire up those networks. They've actually gotten fixed in a certain way. And we're learning more about how that fixation process works. So it's actually um, where neurons connect at the synapse, there are these um, scaffolds that form, like literally like these anchor proteins in the membrane, and then they extrude proteins, and there are sugars that attach. And there's like this kind of skeletal scaffolding form, extra, you know, it's extracellular. It's called the, you know, the extracellular matrix, and it forms around these connections. And they kind of, it helps to constrain or restrain changes. So because these, some of these connections you formed are quite useful for you to route, you know, you know, visual information, for example. Um, And this happens too in parts of the frontal lobe, right? And um, one thing that we're learning is that if you're extremely motivated by something, really, something really captures your attention or really grabs your interest, well, you actually kind of reduce the intensity of those extracellular matrices. There are, they become less, like, you become less scaffolded in parts of these networks, and they're more flexible, and they can change, and you can learn something new. So if you're really, really engaged or motivated or interested in something, something really grabs you, your brain is more flexible and plastic, and it can actually alter and change. And then rather rapidly, it fixes in. You get whatever this new thing is that's really cool, right. you know, is actually something you now are going to focus on. But the problem is, when you were talking about drugs, turns out that, you know, certain drugs like um, cocaine is one that's got a lot of study. I mean, yeah. the drugs that release a lot of dopamine, for example, that, or, you know, act on a lot of dopamine receptors will pro- will basically, um, uh, you know, cause these networks to um, change, like the, this extracellular matrix. Kind of to, hijack. Yeah, it kind of hijacks. It. And then rapidly it fixes in this new form that routes now detection of the drug or you know paraphernalia of the drug yeah ooh, i need to do this really quickly so i mean in terms of what your question earlier about like what can you do as you get older and i mean what cocaine you, yeah cocaine will do it <laughs> <laughs> but what do you what are you interested in like what All right what really what grabs you or motivates you well do it <laughs> so let's go back yeah. to um the rat amusement park because didn't they find that yeah. it wasn't that kind of used to dispel this idea of a rat will keep doing cocaine until it dies that that was that was basically if it was in this isolated cage yes. that no rat wanted to be in so it's so but sad. then when you yeah. put it in a rat amusement park yeah. mm-hmm. with friends and yeah, rat park. Uh, opposite mm-hmm. sex and yeah, exactly. all, all and, and then other, and, other and gave them the opportunity to do cocaine as well yeah. it mm-hmm. wasn't in in many individual 
differences, of course, but in many cases, like the the rates um, uh, dropped dramatically. Yep. Um, in fact, I think there were there was one study where they looked at um, rats that were um, forced to become dependent on alcohol. They only had alcohol, you know, in the the bottle that they were given or something. And um, then when they would give them an opportunity to have water plus alcohol. You know, if they were in the park environment with other rats in a social environment, etc., they would drink the water and they would all huddle together, like they were all kind of like you know, it was almost like they were. I mean, this is anthropomorphic, but they were like they were like supporting each other. Um, so, yeah, I mean, yeah. part of it, it sort of suggests actually, um, you know, we're social creatures and you know we need enriched environments. So really, our and we need the other thing we brought up earlier, right? Is we need sleep, so if we can bring together. You know, if we can agree, as a society, I'll sleep when I'm dead. Then keels over yeah. much faster than yeah. would have yeah, otherwise. After doing a lot of cocaine and alcohol. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, if we can agree on, you know, the need for affordable, accessible housing, you know, uh, and proper right. investment in our children's education, you know, uh, and lots of activities and enrichment, you know. I mean, there's we stuff just like hmm? using a stand-up desk uh, rather than uh, sometimes I. Something I, novel. I, yeah. I've, mm-hmm. I've seen people. Uh, have you seen those new desks that, that yeah, yeah. raise and lower, lower so someone so, yeah. can mm-hmm. sit and they can stand just yep. to mix it up a little bit? I, the the meditation craze is is so interesting. Yeah, I'm right. I'm a big fan of meditation, yeah, even mm-hmm. when I don't do it nearly as as much as I want. But it's it's in a way it's silly because we're talking about having a more stimulating environment for people and sometimes what more stimulating means is sitting back and doing nothing yeah. for 10 minutes well yeah part of part of i mean having teenagers too i mean part of it is there you know you need time not just to be um totally engaged and looking at the teacher and so you need also time to sort of explore and reflect mm-hmm. and you know rest and think you know and um and actually inter- ruminate internally i mean that part of part of it i think um we have this whole you know epidemic of kids who are you know diagnosed with adhd and they're all being medicated with uppers mm-hmm. and things like that um you know they've changed a little bit like the american academy of pediatrics is now you know asks um for like a sleep inventory they want to you know see is the child getting sleep and you know are they um, you know getting proper nutrition what are the levels of stress other things like this that you know when they can address those kinds of issues yeah like sleep apnea is one of the biggest uh, causes of depression yeah, <laughs> like absolutely. a lot of people that are horribly depressed just don't even realize because maybe they're yep. lonely or they don't have a they they don't have a mate or their their mate sleeps deeper than they do even and doesn't notice. There was there was a recent study too about how actually there's a I forgot the percentage but there's a certain percentage of young people who um, because of the the clock genes that they actually um, inherit um, you know that 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 sort of determine your circadian rhythm they 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 have a particularly difficult time you know, going to sleep, you know, um, before midnight, I mean, one o'clock, two o'clock. And then a lot of these, you know, already adolescents have this issue where they're, they're sort of cycling forward. I mean, they're going to be up late. And then it's really hard to get them up in the morning. And we have, you know, we have schools that we go to that start at 715 a.m. Yeah. I mean, they're, 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 they're perpetually sleep deprived. Yeah. It's really hard to engage networks that are involved in, you know, external attention, selective attention, you know, whatever task that you, you're supposed to be doing in school. You're less likely to you know, get through. Yeah. You know, part of what we like to talk about when we go to the schools is all this kind of stuff because, you know, it's not like kids are 
trying to like and kids mess get you to up. Be like, hey, teacher. <laughs> they love that. Uh, yeah. I, I'm they supposed to be able to sleep in. Is anyone listening to so this? So we person? so we do things like, for example, you know, we we have a we we live in a cultural environment. There's a social system and social networks. So and your your nodes in those social yeah, networks. Right. So you 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 can yeah have an have an impact. So right. so gather your information. So what we do is on our website on northwestnoggin.org, we always like put down like all the research that we present about sleep, for example. And the brain and adolescence and the clock genes and all this. And then we sort of go to the teacher and, and the students and say, hey, organize, go to your school board, you know, talk talk about changing this. This is what the science suggests. It'll improve your test scores, it'll improve the behavior issues, it'll improve, you all know, right. your dropout rate. It'll it'll make things a lot better. So Yeah, I mean, some of some of these, I mean, these are simple solutions that we've come up with after a lot of hard complex work yep, and failure and failure <laughs> uh but it's great i mean it, yeah. it gives us a, a lot of hope it is another thing that i've been kind of playing around with is the idea that we evolved this fancy cortex that we're very proud of and we're able to uh, uh have better judgment and and uh in- inhibit our impulses a little bit and then oftentimes we're trying to get rid of this cortex and get down to, you yeah, know, you have know, a drink. sometimes you want to <laughs> trust your gut or, yeah. or even meditation, I think, yeah. is, is doing this kind of getting down yeah. to some of what these primal urges. I, I'll sometimes I do uh, flotation tanks, sensory deprivation tanks. So there's a, as little stimulation yeah. as possible in this environment. Yep. It's, it's, there's still stimulation. And, and then you start and, to hallucinate. Huh? And Well, the, the, <laughs> the things that you notice are the air on your skin, something yeah. mm-hmm. that's always, I mean, there's, uh, there's air. I'm looking at you right now, but I, it seems, what seems yeah, like yeah. empty space not. is not at all. It's air. In fact, there's a whole bunch of creatures and things that live in that <laughs> little hey, zone. Hey, all right, let's not talk about that. Come on. Yeah, it's <laughs> quite a, a little bit of a germaphobe. Quite a complicated And you have these like, weird bug-looking neuron things, yeah. fuzzy neuron things. Um, but yeah, that, that is just you being know, more... We're, you're a community. Noticing, <laughs> yeah. noticing that on your skin, noticing that, yeah. mm-hmm. that you're moving through this fluid yep not moving through empty space noticing gravity noticing all these little smelling the roses right exactly (laughs) this and this is something that this is something that a two-year-old's doing yeah exactly it'd be great to be two Uh, yeah i mean it's it's funny the older we get the more we need to go back to being as young as we were part of it is i mean you know those frontal lobes are you know terrific for organizing your responses and you know getting you to a better you know you know you're you're trying to you're trying to survive, you know, basically in a complicated social world. And so you got to have a job, right? You got to have your cubicle, like you said, right? And all this kind of stuff. And there's tasks you've got to do and you're, you're delaying gratification often. <laughs> so, and you're, you're, you know, not giving in to impulses, you know, to do something now, what you'd rather do now than You're this. paying for apps to not be able to use your computer. Yes, <laughs> like I'm going yes. to buy a computer on my app that inhibits me, my ability to use my computer yeah, so that right. I can actually get the work done. <laughs> so, so, I mean, you know, the brain is all about, you know, how do I get maximum gain for minimal effort? Right. <laughs> and so, I mean, actually, if you can take a, take a night off or take a day off or, you know, do something different and like, you know. Um, I went bowling last night. 
Yeah, I good. Gone in a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And did you have a good time? That was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> See, that's good. Bold, uh, yeah. Bold, bold, four hundred in three games. Right. Mm-hmm. That's not bad. Not bad. Well, Just like to brag about my one thirty. Congratulations, actually. <laughs> <laughs> this is good. So yeah, I mean, so I mean, yeah, I mean, and that's perfectly fine. I mean, as long yeah. as you're, you know, you still can, you know, you don't get fired. Right. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, I I use that as an example of simple things that you can i think i think it was like ten dollars for each of us me and my girlfriend to go to a bowling alley and it would have been easier to sit at home and watch a movie and do something Mm -hmm. passive and i think that is people's natural inclination she had a long day at work i'm in the middle of i'm overwhelmed with stuff bowling seemed like a waste of either of our times right but we went out and did it paid 10 bucks and got a beer or whatever too and and uh and um well i quit drinking recently so i'm drinking soda which is i think worse got sugar Um, (laughs) yeah (laughs) but uh but anyway bowled a few spent an hour bowling and Mm -hmm. and like and the funny thing is too we were we were like having a little tiff before that too and then just getting out and doing something change the situation you know part of it is um you learn from your failures but you also learn from your successes yeah (laughs) so it's not all failure right (laughs) yeah and then the next time you'll be like oh should we sit and watch netflix or now let's go out this is good that was fun yeah this is how uh how busy i've i've been and how stimulated i've this is what uh the upside of of a manic upswing is that i haven't been when i'm when i'm uh uh, depressed i'll watch a lot of tv um which does not help at all and but i've been uh i've been so productive and so stimulated recently that i game of thrones is my favorite show yeah. and i'm only three episodes into the season wow. that has already finished you've been, you've been, already you've been, been out been, in the world i've been yeah i've been out <laughs> and, and you know i That's feel cool. great i feel health and i'm now that my sleep pattern is back to a normal yep it's like, oh, how do I sustain this? Just keep doing what's working and staying outside. It, it, what about uh, I? I've been wanting to be ambidextrous, more ambidextrous lately, yeah, yeah. and using my left hand yeah. more. I, I got some poi, uh, poi, yeah. or for the the little uh, things you spin around. They're like, uh, it's basically if you stick like a tennis ball in a sock and like swing it oh, around. Okay. Is huh. essentially that's, I was uh, that's of, what like, poi you know, is from the Hawaiian food. <laughs> Um, oh no, I'm not familiar. Okay. I was, and I, I thought I you just, were describing a fidget spinner. I saw spam on a Hawaiian menu, and then I was like, I don't need Hawaiian food, so I I don't know much about it. Um, it's actually it's really good. But, go ahead, sorry. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> this is about this. a lot of macaroni. So. Uh, yeah. <laughs> is, I'm glad you're defending Hawaii. Uh, good, yeah. Uh, but I. I got it just to start. I, I'm insecure about my sense of rhythm, yeah. And so it's uh, mm-hmm. there's physics involved in it. You know, mm-hmm. you're swinging a thing around, and it kind of gets you out of your head a little bit. Yeah. So I do a lot of like a fidget spinner. Right? Yeah, you know what? Those things actually work. Have you used one? Yeah, they're pretty intense. Yes, they are. They, it yeah, really it makes them, you. I it, do it, I they, do it work. they work. They <laughs> work. Get a fidget spinner for your desk. It's a it's what, like six dollars at a gas station. Yeah. You'll probably use it a few times, put it down, and never use it again. Yeah, but maybe it'll get you out of your head just to remind you that once yeah. in a while you need to do that. Yeah, yeah, pretty mm. cheap investment. So. Um, that's uh we're gonna wrap up a little bit with a little bit of closing sure. last mm-hmm. little thing i i told you we'd give you an opportunity to say some of the more important things that you'd like people yeah. to remember mm-hmm. in, in closing what 
what do you think uh, you'd like people to take away from this? That we, um, you know, we all have brains, <laughs> and we that do. they're, <laughs> and they're, and they're actually they're they're malleable, they're yeah. responsive, they're always changing. Um, you know that young people. Um, are, you know, have brains that are undergoing tremendous development. Um, and it's very diverse. You know, not everybody's going through the same thing at the same time. Um, that these different perspectives that people have because of how they're responding to their environments, both external and internal, are valuable and, you know, should be given opportunity, you know, for, you know, we should give opportunities for people to express themselves and, you know, kind of, um, you know, participate and engage and, you know, uh, having an educational system that focuses on like a one right answer approach is not necessarily the best way. In fact, I know it's not the best way. Um, and it's leaving a lot of our kids behind. Um, that um, it's really important to make connections, you know, both um, in the brain, uh, but also socially, you know, with others. We talked about that obviously with you know a lot of studies you know that suggest this um but also you know we like to take through northwest noggin our graduate students you know get them together with undergraduates and get them into k-12 classrooms and get everybody out into bike shop pubs and you know museums and homeless youth shelters and you know all over the place so people become more aware you know of the complexity of the world that we inhabit and how extraordinary it is and you have more of these new experiences and you see new connections and you can make you know um progress and you know decide what it is you want to do what needs to be done where can you help i think there needs to be a little more of an elective based curriculum in school i mean i certainly there will be kids that will maybe take advantage or not kind of Use it to learn whatever that necessarily means. I mean, it seems it seems a little silly to me that we go like, ah, oh, we don't the arts, uh, arts and recess those those aren't those aren't necessary. They're we, critical. We need to we need to work on learning more stuff faster, and then we grow up and we spend every bit of free time saving up to watch a bunch of adults on Sunday playing professional recess yeah exactly and then <laughs> which Dreaming, is yeah, what yeah. it is exactly yeah. uh-huh. and wishing you were yeah exactly and huh? then and then <laughs> but a little worried about what happens to your brain. <laughs> <laughs> right right and then and then you you save up to go to a concert to basically watch art yeah. <laughs> to yeah. watch to watch yeah. music class i agree you yeah. could just be sitting around playing guitar at home yeah instead you save up and then you yeah. go and and uh and and then when you're passively on TV watching theater, the, the, the you're watching the theater kids that you made fun the of. Arts are, the arts are critically important. And part of it is, I mean, they, you know, share the same kind of, um, you know, with science, you know, with sci- with real scientific innovation. I mean, a, a willingness to sort of think about things in a new way to sort of um, – they're, they're very um, precise skills that are involved. I mean, like in both art and science um, – Trying, they involve storytelling, you know, which we learn from and are attracted to, and um, you know, they, you're you're trying to put together an explanation or a story or a tale, um, you know, using skilled, you know, activity in a lab or in a studio, you know, and to communicate, you know, what it is you're discovering and finding. All these things are shared, and that's something that. You know, some students are much more interested in the art aspect, and some people are really interested in, you know, the the science aspect of things. Um, but they share a lot, and it's great to get these folks together. Mm-hmm. Well, so you, as an adult, you you go to a conference and you get a schedule, 
and then you get to pick and choose which of these things that you want to go to and then you're going to also have some time for social activities and you're going to find time to get dinner with some yep mm-hmm. and it seems like kids don't get an opportunity to do that and when you talk about individual differences there's also differences on the day-to-day there's differences in attitude when you talk about circadian rhythm i mean there's when uh it's my understanding that when people are suffering from chronic depression yep that the normal two hours before you would naturally wake up with the uh um uh, sympathetic uh stress response yeah. starts kicking in so that you can kind of spring yep. out of bed yep. people with mm-hmm. chronic depression issues uh, don't have that the cortisol doesn't start being released until they're actually like awake and that's uh, and, and they can have sort of chronic activation of cortisol too so they they have less responsiveness to the cortisol that's present and, the, and that can happen in a given model. day yeah. though too yeah, exactly. and yeah. so mm-hmm. some days you might some days it's like you might be calling in sick or whatever but that might naturally be something that maybe you did need a break maybe maybe the yeah. social life at school was too damn stressful for you yeah part of it is actually you know sometimes especially kids who suffer from anxiety depression etc um and if you're in an environment where it is all this high stakes testing and you know there's a lot of social like aspects that are difficult for you to handle things like that there should be alternatives there should be different ways that these kids can still you know participate and you know sometimes they don't they're they're not gonna be able to participate like day to day to day the same way everybody else does but they're going to be you know amazing in terms of what they're able to contribute you know on certain days and other days they need some time you know they need to sort of recover you know yeah i mean i definitely have seen that with students actually who you know sometimes are just the most extraordinary students you've ever seen their ideas are remarkably innovative they're they're they're, i'm like i'm blown away by what they're doing and then they're they disappear you know for a period of time then they're back a little bit later. I mean, they need to recover from that experience. I do, I do that with this podcast. <laughs> there you I go. can exactly, crank yeah. out like 10 episodes in no time and, and make them really and entertaining. And then you're in those no. deep, dark places. You were yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, but there's, that's, those are valuable contributions people are making. And then people need support, you know, during those other times and understanding during those other times. I mean, actually, that's that empathy aspect of it. I mean, realizing that we all are dependent upon these physical structures. I mean, that's one of the things that we find really fascinating because when I was a kid in high school too, I remember all these things were happening to me and like I was feeling all these things and I had no idea that I was actually made of something physical. That's like a weird thought to think that there's like all these cells that are reaching out to each other and like, you know, reconnecting in different ways. I mean, when you do that and when you realize that, then you actually, we bring out, you know, the actual human brains and we show them they can pick them up and I can show you one in a minute here too. I I have it ready. Um, But I mean, it's it's a, a... you suddenly make it. You, oh, you, you, do, you have a, a yeah. We got buckets of brains here. We're surrounded by brains. <laughs> we got a lot of brains. I didn't so. even notice that. Oh, usually, you, you, yeah. usually when I'm in a room full of buckets of brains, I know immediately. You know immediately. Well, you know we're using this great new this solution that doesn't stink. Which is nice. <laughs> <laughs> Normally, people tell because they can smell them. But you know, right over there, we got two human brains, yeah. and then next to it is a minky whale brain. Um, ah. from the coast of Oregon that washed up on the coast. Pretty big. It's, it's, is, that, is that mostly used just for controlling its physical size? Is that why yeah, it's so pretty, large? Yeah, it's pretty, pretty large frontal lobes in the Mickey whale brain, too. Yeah. I mean, those, those, I mean, actually, I always like to think, I mean, to some extent, like whales and dolphins, which have very large, complicated mm. brains, you know, they live on three quarters of the planet right there in the water, and it's, it's, it's clearly rising, right? So, with, so maybe they're in the better spot. Mm, yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> we are. Yeah, they're, they're, getting, they're getting more and more space. There, you know, today there was actually a, a report about um, 
uh, corvid brains, like uh, crows, ravens, you know, yeah. um, and how um, they actually uh, have a working memory capacity that rivals that of, you know, macaque monkeys, like, you know, rhesus monkeys, actually. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's Yeah, pretty... I like that they can, like, hide a thing and then know if something's oh, watching yeah. them and, they, and then they'll, they'll go back and they back know and your face. They recognize your face. You know, if, yeah. if, you, if you upset them, they'll, you know, they'll caught you like crazy and they know who you are. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they're just stalking you. Interesting. Actually, we, huh. have, a, we have a project underway now where there's a, a tree that we've got an artist who's carving actually into a totem of brains it starts at the top with like a salmon brain and then a raven's brain and then a sea lion brain and a uh, bear brain a human brain and a humpback whale brain all brains that are you know regionally found you know in in the northwest actually um and it's kind of like a like a totem but with the masks sort of removed and you can sort of see some of the similarities across all of these you know creatures so (laughs) this is so cool well i can't let's let's do this again Absolutely. That'd be great. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Yeah. Thank you, Bill. Yeah, it's really nice to meet you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and thank you listeners for being such interested, wonderful, curious people. We'll talk to you next week. So the the nonprofit this week is going to be northwestnoggin.org or nwnoggin.org. Thank you very much for uh, this opportunity because we have, you know, lots of our students, um, undergraduates and graduates from, you know, area universities here in Portland who volunteer their time actually to go into K-12 classrooms all around the region um, and teach kids about brains and, te- and show them real human brains and um, engage in art projects that relate to how their brains work. And we're particularly excited this fall because we have been... Been invited to to speak at the Society for Neuroscience conference in Washington, and we're going to visit some public schools there, and um, we're also going to uh, bring brains to the U.S. House of Representatives. Yes, <laughs> so some brains that need to hear about brains. Brains that need to hear about brains. So thank you very much for this opportunity to to, to let people know about our Brains to DC initiative. Thank you, and thank you, listeners, for checking it out on the HereWeArePodcast.com website. Holy cow, guys, life has been a bit of a whirlwind lately for me. So many amazing things happening. Yes, I did go a little overly manic. Yes, I didn't sleep. I basically didn't sleep for about two weeks straight. Yes, that drove me a little crazy, but I really just needed some sleep. I got it. Uh, I'm feeling fantastic, and I have so many incredible things happening uh, in my life right now i can't wait to share with you guys but we are we are really going to be taking things uh to the next level whatever that means it means a whole lot of new incredible opportunities have been coming my way lately and i think this is going to be good for me i think this is going to be really good for science communication in general and I, I feel like this podcast is already getting better. I hope you like I'm playing around with the new format a little bit. When I reach out to my guests, I always ask them what they're the most interested in talking about. And so I've always kind of felt like they were meant to be the drivers of the show anyway. So why not call them a co-host and kind of get that in their head that, that they're in charge of this ship as well. I don't know exactly how it's all being edited together just yet but i liked the idea as well of of kind of giving you guys a little more of a preview ahead of time and letting you know what you're going to be getting into and my editor the audiophile jimmy martin 
Uh, you can go to check out the Jimmy Farrell podcast and you can hear bands, uh, undiscovered bands like Extra Medium Pony, which is the music you are hearing in the outro. And yeah, that's, that's about it. Please support me and help yourself by checking out the Laughable app. When you get hospitalized for mania, a bunch of people in your life come out and, and want to make sure that you're doing okay. And, and so I'm, I'm visiting with family and, and doing a bunch of stuff like that. But I, I have been doing the most writing I've done in a while. And I want to start, as soon as I figure out exactly how to do that, posting all of a bunch of kind of essays on Patreon. And so if you can support me on Patreon, that would really help out. Unfortunately, there's <laughs> I had a lot of sponsors drop me when I had mental health issues because that is the state of mental health in our country. I don't know how many years <laughs> I'm going to have to live in this. So far it's 37 of me being like, look, I'm not crazy. I just see things a little differently and sometimes that makes people a little bit crazy here and there. I am not a crazy person. I have value in society. I don't know how many times I'm going to have to say that in my life before people stop running away in fear. Oh my gosh, how can we support this lunatic who's interested in science and bettering people's lives? Oh my goodness, he must be crazy. Eventually, people will come around, damn it. But until then, any support that you guys can give me would be much appreciated. And, and supporting me on Patreon, I'm, I'm hoping to give back by putting my essays and my writings. I'm always kind of writing and wanting to write a book and that sort of thing. A bunch of stu- the, those kind of lofty dreams that you often put off. Well, once in a while, I realize those dreams. So I'm, I'm thinking a, a good process will be to just start putting some of my essays and some of my writings on Patreon. And then you guys can kind of see along the way the things that I'm working on. So that's the plan. And I hope it works out. Um, and I, I'm sure it will. Something always comes up with these ideas of mine. And uh, so I, I really... Uh, I, I love that you guys that listen all the way to the end want to hear about my life and what I have going on. And this is therapeutic for me that I get to talk about this stuff. And so, those of you that listen all the way to the end, you are, of course, my favorite.
let's say uh, Seinfeld was on an island yeah. and he was blowing <laughs> Boris Karloff. What would it, what would that be like? <laughs> it might go something like this. Oh, Mr. Karloff, I loved you and Frankenstein, and I love giving you a blowjob. Why, Mr. Seinfeld, I'd love having you 